guys as church family. So as you know, uh, for many years we've been working with and praying with the Ahukas, and they just got news that Osha's husband, Sadith, is going to be arriving this Friday. Woo! Yes. So uh, Gail and Jody and others have put in a lot of work working with OSHA, uh, but we know that, that God was at work and that God is able. Amen? Amen. So it's great. OSHA's not here. She worked last night, so, uh, but we can celebrate with her, rejoice with her. Sadith is coming. Families are reunited, and that's good news. Awesome. All right, Mark. So my name is Mark, as Brent said. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, if you're uh, fairly new to us and you haven't seen me about before. And uh, generally, we've been, when I've been preaching, I've been preaching through the book of Mark, and we're going to take a little break for that over the summer. Brent's been preaching through 2 Corinthians. He's taking a break from that. And both of us, as we preach through these summer months, are going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. So Brent kicked us off a few weeks ago with an introduction to the book. He looked at the first seven verses as well. He talked about how wisdom is something that we all desire. Proverbs is a book really all about wisdom, the wisdom of God. Um, but he said, well, you know, not many people really turn to God's Word for wisdom. Yet in the Bible, in God's Word, we do see the wisdom of God outlined all through the book. And most notably in some of these uh, books in the middle of the Bible, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, um, all called wisdom literature. And so we're wanting to explore this summer what wisdom is, what God's wisdom is, what it means to get wisdom, what it means to live in its ways. And uh, so following the first seven verses, really, for the next eight chapters, what happens is we have Solomon, and he is a father speaking to his son, really exhorting him to listen to his teaching, to listen to his wisdom, to listen to the advice that comes from mother and father. And the first advice that he gives actually in, uh, in verse 8 onwards in Proverbs 1 is uh, don't join a gang. That's good advice, isn't it, uh, to your children? Don't join a gang. Don't get pulled away from the things that have been taught to you by your parents. Don't get pulled along with people who say, oh, come on, let's just do this. It doesn't really matter what you've learned before. Just get involved. It's going to be fun. It'll be okay. I mean, pretty much as soon as you start middle school, you start getting those pressures, those temptations, those people coming alongside you and uh, saying, oh, you know, never mind what your parents think. Go with this. There's a real pull to it. And so that's the first thing that Solomon actually says to his sons. These people who say that, they lack wisdom. There's, um, even if you think that your parents don't really know what they're talking about, and I think many teenagers actually think that their parents don't know what they're talking about. They do. There's a saying that was attributed to Mark Twain. I don't think it's actually was him saying it, but he, he's supposed to have said this. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he'd learned in seven years. <laughs> that's often the way it is. So that's, that's how Proverbs start. As the next few chapters go on, we see these competing calls 
on our lives. And the book addresses uh, temptations of lust and adultery, laziness, speaking in unhelpful ways, among other things. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to have six more weeks after this week uh, in Proverbs this summer, we're going to look at some of those topics in depth. We're going to kind of look at topical preaching from Proverbs, looking to see what Proverbs says about a number of these different things. Um, uh, but the, the pull to these things is there for all of us. Do we reject good advice? Do we reject the ways of our Father? Not just our earthly father and mother, but our heavenly Father. Or do we embrace what He teaches as wisdom throughout our lives? And so we have these opposing forces going on all the way through Proverbs 1 through 8, competing for the Son's attention. Wisdom on the one hand, folly or foolishness on the other hand. And so we're going to get to chapter 9 today, and we're going to look at chapter 9 in detail. Maybe if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to that. We'll read it in a moment. And we're presented with a choice, a clear choice, between the two, between wisdom and folly. And the way chapter 9 describes it, the way Solomon describes it, is as a choice between two attractive women, a choice between two women. We could call them Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Um, lady Wisdom um, personifying God's way, and then the immoral woman, we could say, is Lady Folly. So let's read through chapter 9, shall we? And then we'll get into this. So chapter 9 says this, Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn it out of its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the ways of understanding. Whoever connect, corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he'll hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Instruct a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. All right. Let's go back to the start. So here we have two houses, both of them at the highest point of the city. And on either side of the street are two houses with two female owners. And each owner is throwing a party, pretty much. Each owner has got food prepared. They've got the house set up all for, uh, for people to come in. And each owner is saying, come on in here. Come on in to my house. On one side of the street, 
we have Lady Wisdom. And she's inviting us in. And, ac and across the street, across the road, is Lady Folly. And the question is, which way are we going to turn? Are we going to go into the house of Lady Wisdom? Or are we going to go into the house of Lady Folly, who's seducing us as well? And we see that Lady Wisdom will make us wise, and we will live. And Lady Folly, she'll bring us excitement, but it will also lead to death. So now we have a choice. Who are we going to love? Who are we going to join ourselves to? Who are we going to marry? That's the question. That's the question that God puts out to us, the two ways that we can go in the world. What are we going to choose? The reality is we can sometimes kind of want to go back and forth between the two because both of them have got attraction for us potentially. Certainly in the world, both of, us, both of them will have attraction. Of course, we know that wisdom is the right choice. We know that the right way to go is wisdom. I think Brent said the other week, you know, any, everyone, if you say, oh, do you want wisdom? No one's going to say, nah, I don't want that. I just want to go my own way. I just want to do foolish things. Do want, to, want to do things that are going to lead to my death. People want to live in the right way. But actually, there's that pull towards foolishness. There's that pull towards folly. There's that pull towards living in a way that we know deep down inside isn't right. We're actually born with a bias towards folly. We're born with a bias towards going the way of foolishness. And that bias is called, often called original sin. Original sin. It, it means that really that we were born sinners. We were born wanting to go the way of foolishness. It's inherited. It's part of our DNA. We can read about that in Romans 5 uh, and other places. Ephesians 2 says, we were by nature objects of wrath. It's part of our nature, who we were born as. We were born under uh, God's wrath because of our sinful nature. It wasn't even just about us doing something. It's about who we are. Other parts of the Bible talk about that as well. So outside of God, we might know that the right way to live is. That's not the problem. The problem is actually living that way. The problem's doing what we know we should do. Partly we don't want to do it. Partly our, our nature rebels against it. We say, we don't want God to tell us what to do. But even if we know what we want to do, even if we, we, we say, okay, God, show us what to do, we can't live it out. We can't live it out outside of God. Paul explains it so well in Romans 7. He says even obvious choices can just be difficult or to make. It can almost be impossible. We sometimes talk about having free will. Well, actually, the Bible says outside of God, we don't have much choice at all. Paul says this, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. That's what Paul's explaining. He's saying, we can't just do it through sheer willpower. 
We can't just say, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to live in the right way. Many of us try that. Many people try. They say, I can do it. I'm strong enough to fight this. I can live in that way. Well, Paul is saying, it's impossible. We can't do that outside of, outside of God. In and of ourselves, we cannot do it. We want to live a certain way, but we end up falling into the wrong ways. Our hearts are corrupt. They pull us towards sin all of the time. We see it in Proverbs um, 7. We see it in Proverbs 7. And uh, this is a similar thing with just uh, talking about um, someone outside of their house, uh, often called here in the, in the headings, the adulteress, warning about the adulteress. But it's, it's really just that temptation that we see here as well. Let's see from verse 6. It says, At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of the night set in, then out to meet him came a woman dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. And then it goes on and talks about how she came out and she kisses him and she invites him in and she says, hey, my husband's gone away. Come on in. It's going to be fine. We're going we're gonna to have a great time together. And he ends up going in and it says he follows her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. You see, what, you see what is being observed there? That's what can often happen. It's watching someone and they're walking toward temptation. Temptation is there at the street corner, but there's a drawing towards it, someone walking down, someone going towards it, walking towards the corner where they meet. And that can often happen. This temptation draws people. It draws us. It gets a hold of us. That's how people get deep into sin. People don't usually get into sin and into serious sin right away, out of nothing. There's a kind of attraction to it. There's a getting near to it. We get pulled towards it. There's a bit of a thrill about getting close to it. So we take one more step and then, and then out someone comes and then there's even more of a pull and there's promises made, false promises made. This is going to be great. It'll be good for you. No one's going to know. My husband's gone away. Whatever it is, whether it's about relationships, whether it's about anything, but we can get more and more seduced and then we go like uh, ox going to the slaughter, like a deer going into a noose, not knowing our very lives can be at danger. Our very lives, our lives with in terms of our relationships with other people, our relationship with God, our relationship with our family. We get ensnared, but there's that pull towards sin. Let's not be foolish enough to think this could never happen to us. It can. And outside of Christ, it will. Because human hearts are corrupted by sin. 
And as we go on in our lives, actually more and more things happen to us. More and more things happen to our hearts. Our hearts get hurt and damaged and, and scarred and we, and we try and fix it up ourselves and we, we kind of botch the surgery and our hearts can get calloused and hardened from sin and we can become resistant and we can become cynical and, and, and critical of, of God and of other people and we can become paralyzed even even when the choice is obvious, we can get into a real mess. The solution is we need new hearts. We need new hearts. And that's the very promise for us, for those of us who are in Christ. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sprinkle, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promises us a new heart. If your heart is hardened, if your heart is scarred and messed up and you think, well, there's no other way and you've even put this layer of protection around it, then come to God. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new heart, and He'll pour out His Spirit into you so that you can follow His ways. You can follow His ways. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can come into a relationship with God. You can be sons and daughters of the living God. In fact, all the way through Proverbs 1 through 8, 22 times, I think it is, the author of Proverbs, Solomon, reminds this, this person that he is a son. My son. He keeps saying, my son. And we need to keep reminding ourselves who we are in Christ. We need to keep reminding ourselves that we are sons and daughters of the living God. We have got God's Spirit available to us. We can believe that we can move in the other direction. We can move in the ways of righteousness. We can move towards God. It's not only possible, it's something that is joyful to us. It's something actually that will become more attractive than sin. It will become more attractive than folly. When we come to know God, when we come into that relationship with Him, we're no longer slaves to sin. We have the power to choose righteousness. So we've got to know who we are. Now, some of, some of you might be sitting here today and thinking, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I am in Christ. I don't know if I do know that. I don't know if I have been filled with God's Spirit. I don't know. I don't seem to be able to make those right choices. I do seem to keep slipping in to ways of acting that I know are not helpful. Let me tell you, this morning, God's forgiveness is completely here and available for you this morning. God will accept you right now, even as you are. He'll adopt you into his family. You can receive a new heart today. You can be filled with his spirit today. Because Jesus, unlike all the rest of us, chose wisdom over seduction and folly every single time. Jesus never gave in to that way of temptation. He never went that way. He always followed God's way. He always followed the way of wisdom. 
And then he died the death that we deserved for following the ways that we followed. He died in our place. And in doing so, he gave us his righteousness. We received forgiveness. We received everything he should have received. He set us free from the slavery to sin so that we could become sons of God. We're free. We, have, we were singing it this morning. Now I have resurrection power. You have given us freedom. We're living in the light of your goodness. No longer bound. No longer slaves. It's so important to remember that. It's so important to keep singing those songs and reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. That's that other song that we sang as well. I am who you say I am. We can often tell ourselves who we are. We can say, oh, I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm, a, I'm miserable. I'm a, I'm a sinner. God doesn't say that about us. God says that we're his children. God says, Hebrews 12, 7 says, God is treating you as sons. God is treating you as sons because that's who we are. He's not treating us as losers. He's not treating us as sinners. He's not treating us as those who've messed up. He's treating us the way that he sees Jesus. We've received that freedom to come into God's presence and be treated the way God treats Jesus. And so often as Christians, we can fall into defining ourselves as sinners. We can say, oh, I just, I'm just a sinner. I'm just miserable. Oh, God doesn't say we're sinners once we've come and received forgiveness. We're called saints. I think I'm not a saint. I don't, do, I don't live that way all the time. No, you are who God says you are. That's who God says you are. We don't live the way that we think. We don't define ourselves by what we think. We define ourselves the way God says. And God says, you're free. You're no longer chained. You're no longer bound. You can go in a different way. So those of us who know Christ, we have a choice. So let's take a look at these two house parties that are going on and, uh, and something of their owners. Okay, let's look at uh, Wisdom's house. Let's go back to the start. Lady Wisdom. She's got this palatial house. It's got seven pillars. It must be pretty impressive. She's built this house with seven pillars and she epitomizes wisdom. Now, as Brent said last time, wisdom isn't just an idea. Wisdom's not just a way to go. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is a person who we are invited into a relationship with. We're invited in the book of Proverbs into a relationship with wisdom. So wisdom really is Jesus. This uh, lady wisdom is really representing who Jesus is. And uh, wisdom, or Jesus, is a wise and wealthy friend who has thought of everything we need, worked hard to provide it in full. So wisdom has worked hard at building her house, these seven pillars. There's good food to eat. There's meat there. There's wine, mixed, mixed wine with spices to make it even better. The table has been set. God's prepared a way for us where we will lack Nothing if we walk in the ways of wisdom, if we follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. John 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
God's promising us abundance. There's an abundance. There's an attractiveness to it. Jesus says, I've come. So you'll have abundant life. Do you know that Jesus is better at building a great life for you than you are? Jesus is better at building a great life for you than you are. Some of you maybe don't even really believe that, but it's true. There's great food at this feast. There's no junk food there. There's no happy meal giving you kind of momentary enjoyment and then you think, oh, actually, I feel worse than when I went in. I'm a little more hungry now than I went in in the first place. You know, that's, when you, that, that's the last time I had a happy meal. That's how I felt. Not, not overly happy on the way out. <laughs> but what God's prepared for us, you're not with me on this, are you? <laughs> like, mm, I could eat a happy meal right now. Being tempted, it's luring you. Come over this side of the road. You've got some great food over this side. Now I've got a happy meal. <laughs> what Christ offers is even better. It's ready right now. It couldn't be more loving. It couldn't be more generous. The path of wisdom will bless us. If we read the first eight chapters in Proverbs, we'll see that. There's so much blessing that's promised if we follow the ways of wisdom. Chapter 1 tells us wisdom preserves us, keeps us from violent people. Chapter 2 says wisdom saves us and protects us from sin's destructiveness. Chapter 3 says gives us, wisdom gives us a fresh perspective on wealth, teaches us the way of life in a culture of death. And chapter 4, wisdom guides us on the path of life. Chapter 5, wisdom tells us how sex can be better. Chapter 6, wisdom gets us off the couch and delivers us from laziness and irresponsibility. It gives us purpose and fulfillment in life. Chapter 7, wisdom protects us from sexual temptation. Chapter 8, wisdom opens our eyes to the joyous creation in which we live. Gives us a new way of seeing the world. That's what wisdom has to bring to us. Wisdom has good things to give to us. And Lady Wisdom has got all this set out for us. And she's calling out and saying, come on in. She's inviting people to the feast, to the party. She sent out messengers. She sent out messengers, it says, to come and invite others as well. To come and, and call people into the ways of God. Messengers have gone out telling people about Jesus. That's us, really. That's us. God speaks through us to a world that needs to know how to live and the ways of life. The world needs to walk in ways of life, and we are his messengers. We are Christ's messengers as we go out. He speaks to us as we tell people about Jesus. One of the main ways that he speaks to us is through preaching, through God's word. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. The preached word, the word of God, is not just the word of people. It's not just people's ideas. It's the word of God. And the word of God is at work in us who believe. So preaching isn't just people's opinions. When, I, when I'm preaching, it's not just oh, when Brent's preaching or Gary or Joe or whoever might be preaching. It's not just our opinions that is coming out. It's not just a chance to be able to, uh, to express our, our thoughts and, and you all just sit there and have to listen to them. You know, oh, I've had a few thoughts this week. I think I'll just tell some people what I'm thinking about life. That's not what preaching is. 
Preaching is the Word of God, His wisdom, and it's at work in those of us who believe. We need to understand that. We need to recognize what it is. However skilled the preacher is, however um, coherent they might be, however eloquent they might be, it's still the Word of God that is being preached, and the Word of God is working. Because there's a lot of ideas about what should happen instead of preaching these days. Some people say, well, we, we should just get together and we should all just be able to express our own thoughts. We should just have group discussions and, on different topics and we can all express what we think about things. Why should we just listen to what one person has to say about it? What, why is their opinion more important? Well, it's not. My opinion shouldn't matter to you any more than anyone else's opinions. But hopefully, I'm not just sharing my opinions this morning. I'm imparting the Word of God. Some people think, well, preaching should be more entertaining. Some people think, well, we should, we should make preaching shorter. We should spend more time on the worship. Or, or even, why do we even bother with preaching these days? Let's just do without it. But it's only the Word of God which can change us, which can work in us through His Holy Spirit conforming us more and more to the likeness of Jesus. So wisdom sent out the invitation. Pursue me. Come to my feast. So much is there. And anyone can come. Anyone can come. Not just people who are already wise. That Wisdom says, come in. Those who are simple. Those who lack judgment. In other words, those who are just beginning. Those who are just setting out in life. Those who are just setting out on the journey. Those who haven't got much of a clue about how this life works. Come on in. You can learn. You're welcome. God's inviting all of us to pursue wisdom. So often we can think that we know it all. Or we can think it's, you know, well, actually, we should just be authentic. We should just make our own mistakes in life. We're not going to listen to what someone else has to tell us whether that's God or anyone. We make our own way in life. We'll make our own mistakes. That might be it. But uh, even so, there'll be our mistakes. But God gives us his spirit. He also gives us his church. God gives us his church so we can seek wise counsel to each other. We can bring advice and counsel to each other. We can have accountability. It's not just that we're looking to control each other's lives. It's just that often we can't see what the wise choice is on our own. Proverbs 19 and verse 20 says this, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Listen to advice. Accept instruction, and in the end you'll be wise. How many of us don't really like listening to advice? How many of us don't like accepting instruction? We've still got that rebellion rising up in us sometimes. I don't want that. I've lost count of the number of people I've met over the years who've made major life decisions without really seeking advice, without really seeking accountability. This is people in the church, without seeking the input and wisdom that is here that we have for each other. Often people who are being used by God, often people who are very much involved in the church, involved in God's plans and purposes, and then they might just decide independently, oh, do you know what? I think I'm going to move. I think I'm going to move to this place. And, and 
they only realize later, oh, well, maybe there's no church there. Maybe I don't know anyone. Maybe things are different. Well, surely God will work it out. Well, God won't leave you. But you don't have to make unwise decisions in the first place. I met someone recently who'd made similar decisions to that. And they said to me, well, we've really been, been lonely for, for nine years. We've been in this place and we, we're really struggling. It's been nine years now. But maybe they didn't really embrace wisdom in the first place. There's a great book I was reading, been reading with my, uh, our children. And uh, this is great. If you're parents of teenagers, by the way, or if you are teenagers yourself, this is a great book to read. Um, it's called This Changes Everything. It's by Jacqueline Crow. She was a teenager when she wrote it. And it's called How the Gospel Transforms the Teen Years, is the subtitle. So this is what she says in this book, writing to teenagers. Um, she says, There can be a big problem when Christian teenagers are looking for a university. The one thing they often miss is a church. They choose their school, and only after that do they look around for a church. Or they arrive at their school and they church hop without really investing. If we're really seeking full integration into the body of Christ, involving both what we can receive and what we can offer, it seems we should consider church, a church to attend when we're deciding where to go to school. A lot of us are at that age where we're getting a deluge of advice about college. People are giving us recommendations. We're signing up for tours and discounts. Pamphlets are pouring into our mailboxes. Teachers and counselors are coaching us. Our parents are helping us fill out the application. But almost nobody's talking about the importance of a local church in the search. Too often it's just on the back burner, a long afterthought. But what if we chose a college because of a church? What if we let a church be the deciding factor? What if we visited churches as well as colleges? Interesting. Often people don't think about those things. Often people don't think about churches. That's actually one of the reasons why, as a church here, we believe God's given us a vision and we're looking to outwork it to plant churches into every university town and city in Atlantic Canada. For that very reason, that if we've got people from here who then choose to go to university or school somewhere else, then there's a church there for them. Right now, we've not got that in the cities. We've got it in a few. We've got it in Charlottetown. We're looking to get it in Halifax. We're looking to get it in St. John's. We've got somewhere in Wolfville as well that we're now in relationship with. We're looking to grow all those others. But let's consider these sort of things. People don't. Often people don't. We can receive wisdom from God. And anyone can receive this wisdom from God. Those who lack judgment are invited in. Those who are wise are invited in. Verses 8 to 12 of this chapter says, Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. If you bring correction to someone who's already wise, they'll love you for it. They'll respect you for it. They'll see that there's good reason behind it. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
If we have that attitude, if we have that approach where we're receiving input from others, where we're being taught, where even though we might be wise, we're still saying, but we can still learn. We can still learn off each other. We can still grow in our knowledge of God. It says, for though wisdom, through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If we're wise, we'll know that we need input. If we bring a rebuke, people will love us for it, even though it might be painful, because it's going to bring greater fruit in their lives. These are the people who are open. But in contrast, the ones who are missing out are the scoffers, the mockers, those who, are, who they reject wise advice, or rather their attitude means that they reject God's wonderful offer themselves. Verses 7 and 8 in chapter 9 say, don't even bother bringing input to them. Don't even bother trying to correct. Don't even bother saying, hey, have you thought that the way you're going isn't right? He says, because whoever corrects a mocker, they just invite insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. And then at the end it says, if you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Mockers are those people who think they don't need correction, think they've got it all figured out. Those who are never eager for more of God and his wisdom when the church gather together, but always are looking cynically, critically, sarcastically about what's being said and done. These are the people who won't respond well to things in their life being pointed out to them. They just get defensive and even aggressive towards the one bringing it. So Proverbs tells us, don't bother because they'll hate you for it. It's those with soft hearts who want to learn and receive wisdom. Often people who are cynical, often people who do struggle with this, it comes from a fear of being let down and hurt. And so there's a fear of fully giving yourself to anything. There's a fear of fully embracing something. You never want to go all in because you think, I might just get hurt again. And you can become cynical and you can become hardened and you can become this mocker. And a mocker won't take steps of faith because there's just this fear inside holding them back. Fear of being let down. Let me say to you today, Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never let you down. We have to come to him, not with cynicism, not with sarcasm, but with holy fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Seek him for all he has for us. Seek his blessings. Be hungry for him. So Lady Wisdom is setting out a feast and inviting us in. But Lady Folly is inviting us in too. And Lady Folly is loud. She's all out there. She's grabbing our attention. And she's seductive. She's sitting at her door. She doesn't work hard as Lady Wisdom does. Lady Wisdom's built these houses with the pillars and everything. Lady Folly is just sitting at her door, calling out to people who pass. And she issues her invitation to the same people. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Those who lack judgment, come on in. It's the same people who she's inviting. She's just sitting around there. She's not building anything. She's not putting work in for us. She's just expecting us to be impressed. And she offers us a meal too, but she offers us just bread and water. She offers us bread and water. She doesn't offer us meat and wine. The food's nowhere near as good. The food's nowhere near as nutritious. 
but she does tell some truth here. She says, this food's going to taste good at first. It might just be bread and water, but it's going to taste good. She says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. And it is. It is. If we go for something secretively, if we think we're getting something stolen, then there's a, then there's a, a pleasure that comes at first with that. It's only the aftertaste. It's only afterwards that we realize what's happened. <coughs> when I was in my 20s, I used to be a high school teacher. And, I, and part of my teaching, I used to teach drugs education. So I'd, uh, I'd teach all about different um, substances and their effects and, and things like that. And I guess similar things go on in schools even today. One of the things that I used to do was I used to invite in a couple of guys who were ex um, addicts. They'd been uh, addicts of heroin and uh, cocaine. Their lives had got really messed up. And I used to bring them in to all my classes, uh, my uh, grade 10 classes, uh, grade 11, 10 and 11 classes, and they, would, uh, and they would speak to the class and they'd basically tell their stories. And uh, they were excellent. They were so good. But one of the reasons that they were so good, I felt, was because they wouldn't just say, do you know what, kids? Cocaine will mess up your lives, stay away from it. And they, and, and they didn't just tell them the negative side of things. They certainly did tell the negative side of things, and some of the stories were horrific. But they said, when I first tried this, it was amazing. They said, when, when, we when I first tried heroin, it was the most amazing feeling I'd ever had. And, and, and some of the kids were like, what? Oh, really? And then they would quickly go on and they would say, you need to know that because it's going to seduce you if, you don't, if you're not careful. It's no, and, they, and they said to me afterwards, it's no, good just, it's no good just telling kids, oh, it's terrible. It'll make you feel awful. I said, because it won't. It won't make you feel awful at first. It will make you feel great. It will make you keep wanting to go back for more. But then you'll be hooked. Then you'll be like this ox going into the trap, going into the noose. So they would then go into graphic description of some of the depravity. And that's the truth for us. Sin is exciting to us. Sin can make us feel good at first. People come to me. I've heard people come and they've, and they've been involved in sin and I've said, what are you doing? And they've said, no, but it makes me feel so alive. This relationship that I found, you know, my, my, the relationship with my husband, the relationship with my wife, it, it just left me feeling kind of, oh, it was just so mundane. And this person just makes me feel alive. They make me feel so good. How can it be wrong? That's what sin does. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel alive. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is delicious. But in the end, it just leads down to the grave. It leads to death. And you won't know it. And you'll just be going led. Led like a lamb, like a deer stepping into a noose, an ox going to the slaughter, arrows piercing your liver, a bird darting into a snare. You'll not know your life, your very life is at stake. <coughs> 
Have you ever eaten a meal and got food poisoning afterwards? I had a, a my, I was in Portugal once. I ate this delicious meal, <coughs> and then I was sick for a week <laughs> with salmonella, and I couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd never eaten that meal. It was so good at the time. I didn't even know. If you have a taste for sin, it will seem sweet and attractive. But then we can get seduced and we get so sick that we find ourselves stuck. We don't even have the strength. It seems like we don't even have the strength to even choose Christ again. Be like me lying in that bed. I can't even get out of bed. I can't do anything. We can be like that. Again, I've had people say to me, they've embarked on an affair and I've been coming and we've been warning them and they've said, well, it's okay. I know, I know I'm a Christian. I can always repent. <sighs> How foolish. The truth is you won't even want to. You won't even want to. Your heart will get so hardened, so cold towards God even when things are as bad as they can get, even when you know you've made the right mistake, the, 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 the mistake that you've made, gone the wrong way, your hearts are just cold. You won't have that desire. The only way to escape when you're in a situation like that is to hear the gospel again. Because the truth is, Jesus loves us even when we're in the pit even when we're in the depths of despair, even when we're entangled and in that noose, Jesus still loves us. He still comes for us. He came for us right from the start. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What God demonstrates his love for us in this, says Romans 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're entangled in sin, even today, There'll be people here who know they've start, at least started down this route. They've started to get attracted to sin. They've started thinking, this is sweet. It's secret. No one knows about it. And this tastes good. It's foolishness. Come back to God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves you even in the depths. He came down for you even while you couldn't come up to him. Jesus is the one who lifts our hearts. He lifts us up from the depths of the grave. He leads us in steps of obedience. He's the one calling out to us this morning, inviting us to a meal, the meal that he has prepared. He's actually inviting us into a relationship with him. He says, come feast on me. Enjoy me. You will find good food here. Leave behind the bread and the water that leads only to death. Come and feast on me. Be part of my kingdom. Live again. Enjoy me. Christ's meal isn't just for those who think they're wise, but are critics, skeptics and cynics. Christ's meal is for those who know they're fools. It's for those who accept, oh, I know I've got in this mess. I don't know how to escape. God, I want growing wisdom. That's for you. It's for you even this morning. You can receive Christ. 
He's here today. He's calling all of us to feast on him. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And Jesus said, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. And as we share it today as Christ's body, as the church, let's take time to repent of our foolishness. Let's take time to repent of the times when we have walked across the street towards the house of the woman folly. Maybe we've even gone in. Maybe we've even begun to discover that actually it's where the dead are. It's not too late. Grab hold of Jesus. He's come for you. He's reaching out for you this morning. Come back to him. Repent and walk away from folly. He'll embrace you. He'll embrace you. He'll welcome you in. Just as the father in the story of the lost son welcomed his son back. That son who went away and said, I know my own way. I'm not going to listen to anyone else. And he went and he squandered it on prostitutes, on wild living, on big feasts until he ended up with nothing, until he was just with the pigs. He still was able to turn around and say, well, maybe, maybe. And he started on his way back and the father run towards him and embraced him and threw a feast. That's what God will do for you. Start to turn back this morning if you've gone the way of foolishness and God will welcome you back. He'll embrace you with open arms. Let's seek him today. Let's enter into everything that he has for us. I'm going to invite Brent to come and he's going to lead us in communion.